All right, here we go, man. We're back. Hey, Chris. Hey, Russ. How are you, dude? I'm good. What's up, buddy? Not much. Good to see you. Actually, there's you a lot is up, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot going on. Um, yeah. So uh, just a minute ago, before before we started recording, we were talking, and, and you were talking a little bit about um, another podcast that you've been on a few times and connected with. Um, go, go back to that real quick, because I thought that, that, well, first of all, you said they were interested in this and what we're doing and talking about it and wanted to plug it. And that makes me feel super awesome. I mean, that, that feels really good that people want to support what we're trying to do and, and appreciate it. So can you, let's, let's plug them. Let's talk about them and tell what they're doing. Yeah. So I, I was just saying that, um, a couple of times a year, pretty, pretty much every year I've been back, um, in Chicago, we, uh, there's a, a pilot here, skydiver named Dave Schwartz. And he does skydiver skydive radio, um, and it is a not quite a weekly podcast. It's kind of like he'll go in spurts where he'll do ten or fifteen of them, bang bang bang, and then um, kind of upload them maybe a little a little more consistently than that. But I'm on it a couple times a year, and it's it's a fun podcast, a little bit longer than this one. I mean, we'll get up in like Joe Rogan range of two or three hours, um, but a wide variety of topics, and he's got a you know, a format that he follows. But anyway, he, I, I was talking to him t today um, and there's a woman at Scott of Chicago right now who uh, I don't know exactly her age. I would hazard a guess uh, around 80 or 75, somewhere in that range. And she's trying to get, she was a, a pioneer in skydiving. And I, I, I probably should have looked up her name, but I didn't realize we were going here. Um, if you know Rook's sister, Melissa Nelson, she does a lot of the media stuff here at Sky Chicago. She um, posted a couple of pictures with her and she's trying to do, like I said, get her thousand jumps by getting tandems at different drop zones around the country. And I don't know how many more that is to get to a thousand, but um, she's at Sky Chicago right now. She did tandem today. Uh, and I was, Dave had her on his podcast on Sky Radio. And uh, I talked about the one that we're doing here. And he said, oh man, let's, let's get you on and we'll, we'll talk about the Crave podcast when you're on my podcast. That's so, cool. That's really, how, how old is he? Dave? Yeah. He's right around my age. So I don't know, 50, 52, somewhere around there. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I th um, I'm pretty sure, well, it's probably been over two years ago now that, uh, he and I actually connected, um, over the phone and did, he, he did like a, a very brief not even really an interview, just a couple of questions about, I mean, when Crave was first getting going, we we're just kind of putting out the first few courses. I think, I think it was Dave and, uh, he called me and we talked for a little bit, just got a little bit of information just so he could share about Crave and what was going on. I think, you know, just a little blurb on one of the episodes or something, not, not anything major, but I thought that was really cool of him to, to do that at that time, you know, and just try to help support what we're doing and share, um, with the community, how we're, how we're trying to help, you know, I thought it was cool. Yeah. 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 I mean, Dave, Dave personally is a super nice guy and, and yeah, very, very helpful. And um, his podcast is different, but similar, a lot of educational stuff going on, trying to reach this kind of community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. So another thing we were talking about just a minute ago, Biltong, <laughs> I was really surprised to hear that you know what Biltong is, but then when you explain why that made sense. So, so how do you know what Biltong is? Well, when Steph and I were living, uh, Steph and I lived in the Middle East um, for a number of years. And uh, one of our 
good friends that we met in Abu Dhabi, uh, Naomi Kutsi is a South African woman. Um, she's living in the Netherlands now, very experienced skydiver tunnel instructor. Um, we were all working at a wind tunnel together there. And I think she probably introduced us to Bill Tong. It's, um, if people don't know what it is, it's like a, a very good version of beef jerky. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, they, but it's different. It's, um, I don't know the right way to describe it, but like it, uh, if beef jerky is a refined product, I would say biltong is more on the like raw, even the meat's not raw, but it's, it's just not as, as processed as beef jerky as the way that I think about it. It's more of like a, a homemade recipe that, so we went to a place in Abu Dhabi where a South African guy um, was making it and bought a bunch of it. And, and then the preparation is a little bit different than traditional jerky. The flavor is completely different. It's way better in my opinion. Um, and uh, yeah, so she introduced us to it and it's not as bad, but a little bit like, Hey, try this crack. See what you think. Um, Cause it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, good. it's, it's pretty really addictive good. when it's in front of me. I just want to eat it all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so the way we, you and I got talking about this a second ago, I was telling you, um, that I am doing graphic design for this company. Uh, and that have you bought any Biltong here in the States? Have you ever bought any? Yeah. Or have you always gotten it from like at the store? I mean, have you ever, or have you always gotten it from? Uh, there is actually, you can, I think at Walmart now there's, there's little packets that you can buy, um, of Biltong and it's, it's a good substitute for like an actual Biltong shop because the, the flavor is pretty good and they have different varieties. Um, uh, I, Steph found a place that's on the way to kind of on the way to O'Hare. If you go the back way, um, from where we are that, uh, there's a South African guy there who's making it in his shop and we're going to be regular visitors to that shop. That's cool. Well, yeah. the, so the company that I, that I do graphic design work for is called strive. And okay. so they actually have a few different brands, strive, Vacadios, um, Bright time, Kalahari, different ones, but, um, it's a couple of South African guys that, that started these companies. And, um, so I've been learning quite a bit about it, you know, working for them and connecting with them and doing a bunch of stuff. And so, so far, what I understand is that one of the main differences is it is it's air dried and mm. there's no, there's no additives. Like they don't add any, no sugars, no extra salt or sodium, you know, no preservatives, nothing. And what I didn't know, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but I didn't know this. Whenever you cook meat, I didn't know that that destroyed a lot of the protein or it broke down a portion on a certain percentage of the protein. So the fact that the, that the biltong is not heated, it's just air dried. It means the protein count is like almost 50% higher than regular jerky because jerky mm. is typically smoked or, you know, dried in a warmer environment and that heat, uh, can tend to break down the protein. So that's some of the things that make it so much healthier is because it has more protein per ounce mm. and, um, no additives, no sugars, no salt, you know, sodium, all that stuff, preservatives. Um, and it's a really good, really good flavor. Like you said. Yeah. So I'm, I would be curious to, <clears throat> I would want to read about that protein thing, because I know like when you heat protein, it denatures it, the, the, 
for lack of a better way to say it, the, the structure of it decomposes a little bit, but that's kind of the point of cooking things normally is that you're, you're starting the digestive process on the stove as opposed to everything happening in your stomach. Um, but I would wonder about the, like the protein, like when eggs turn white, that's the protein denaturing. Um, mm. And so, but, it, but since we, we digest it and break protein down into constituent parts, um, mm -hmm. amino acids, and, and then we rebuild it into our own protein, I would wonder about that. But for sure, I can, I can totally agree with the fact that it's not preserved. And in fact, Steph and I messed up because we got that biltong and it, it, uh, a week and a half later, it had mold on it. And, mm. But that's correct. It should have that because we need to eat it at the time. It's not going to mm -hmm. last for two or three weeks out um, like jerky might because um, yeah. it has yeah. a lot of preservatives. So. And it's good. Oh, it's really good. One, one of the products, this company that I'm, that I'm working with, uh, they actually have one product line that's made from Wagyu. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I got yeah. to, I got to try some of it. It was very, very good. Really good. <laughs> Yeah, the only downside of this job might be if they offer to pay you in product. <laughs> you got you <laughs> to make it. sure you're getting paid in I'll cash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, oh, okay, so you made me think of something when you said egg. Little uh, hmm. puzzler for you. you. You may know this. Super easy. Um, most, let's see, let me, let me think how to phrase this. A lot of liquids or things when you cool them they gel or solidify right like water you the colder it gets it eventually freezes metal same thing all these different things as they get colder there's a freezing point where they get hard and as you heat them up they turn to liquid but there are a couple of things that do the opposite when you heat them they solidify. gel or solidify you already identified one which is eggs but there's another another thing that's super common that does the same thing. When you heat it, it actually will gel and solidify. Can you think of what it is? It's not something we eat. I mean, not on purpose. Some, some cultures do, but you have a lot of it. Blood. Yep. That's it. Very good. Okay. Nice. <laughs> I swear yeah. you got it, man. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so this is not your typical skydiving podcast, man. Talking about <laughs> biltong and blood. But as long as you brought it up, do you know that the fact, do you know why does water float? Why does ice float on water? Do you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, because the, as it, as it crystallizes, the, the molecules actually space out the crystal structure. So they're getting further apart. So it's just getting mm -hmm. less dense. Less is, that, yeah. is that right? That, that's exactly right. But that is a fact that's actually very fundamental to life. And if you think about if, if frozen water sank instead of floating, that would mean that it would, the, it would ponds or, or rivers or lakes or the oceans would freeze from the bottom up. Mm. And there's, there are some life forms that can live that way, but not very many. Mm. And so the fact that life forms like fish in rivers and spot and streams and and ponds could live through the winter because the ice went to the surface allowed life to continue when it was in a pretty fragile state um way back that, when so we're all here because of that probably that's pretty that crazy simple fact yeah that's wild 
which gets us into the idea of an anthropogenic universe. So am I saying that right? Uh, the idea that like there's a there's an idea out there. And this is way away from scattering. But in the in the in the quantum physical world, there are so many variables that are so finely tuned to allow for life that to some people it looks like a simulation or a creator or whatever your word is for somebody mm -hmm. set this all into motion. And I don't, I, I mean, this could be a whole different line of a podcast if we want, but uh, that like um, what's, what's the, the plank number. It, it's just, this is crazy small number yeah. or the, the, the value of gravity or like if, if any of these things were even like the smallest amount different than they are, the universe would have contracted. Mm. Atoms couldn't have formed from subatomic particles. Like there's this crazy set of facts about our universe that are are so specifically tuned to allow for us to be here. Yeah, it's interesting. that's, that, that's, that's a whole other awesome. podcast, though. Okay. No, that's cool. I mean, well, you and I have we've talked a tiny bit about this when we were together in Florida. I don't, I don't think we really got into it much, but I mean, I I, I I'm a Christian. I I definitely believe in a creator in God. I, I think that for me, there's a lot of evidence. There's a lot of things that point to, to a designer that things are, I mean, just, just beauty for one thing, love, you know, like, Oh my goodness. So amazing. Um, like my wife, the fact that she loves me and cares for me and, and continues to choose to love me is just a, to me, that's a testimony. I mean, the fact that, that human beings can, I think love is a choice. You know, we, we, we choose to love people. That's why we make a promise. You know, when, when you, I think a promise is something that it is a choice. Like you can't say, I promise I'll always love uh, bacon more than ham. <laughs> like I'll always like it more than, well, no, like that's not, you can't promise a feeling that you can't control. You promise a choice. Mm. And so to, when you promise to love someone until you die to me that says okay well then you're recognizing that love is a choice because you promised to do it and oh. that's the fact that we can do sorry i'm, I'm getting way off all right sorry. <laughs> <laughs> never mind i'll stop that's okay and and i have two thoughts to follow up and then we then we can move on but one i i'm not a christian and and uh and i i hope that's okay and and uh but it, interestingly to me and this has been a a funny thought experiment. I have no problem with the idea of a creator. Mm -hmm. Like we're in a sim and someone created the sim. And that's so very similar to uh, an Abrahamic God in a way, but, but I'm okay with the sim, but I'm not okay with the Abrahamic God for a number of reasons. But then just to follow up on what you said, you know, the astronomer and physicist, Carl Sagan, mm -hmm. you know that name? Yeah. So he's one of my favorites and I grew up watching, um, his show the, about the cosmos and there's a point in his book where he's he's um he, he died i believe he had cancer um and he's he knows he's going to die and someone was talking to him about um the afterlife and and did he want to convert on his deathbed and i he wrote this or his wife wrote it post-mortem and uh or posthumously i guess uh and the person said do you love your wife? And he said, I, for sure I do. Um, oh no, sorry. The person said you should 
can't we get you to believe in an afterlife? And he said, I, I don't want to believe. I want to know. I want, I want it to be provable. And the guy said, do you love your wife? And he said, yeah. And the guy said, prove it. Hmm. Which to, you know, anybody who's had that emotion, it's far removed from an analytical world. So, okay. That's, that's yeah. maybe that's our, our, uh, deviation for today. Yeah. I mean, there is a, there is an argument that he, he did prove it. He did prove his love over the how sure. many years they were married together. You yeah. Know? Like that is how you, I, I see the point. I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to yeah. dismiss it. I'm just saying that I think that's a, that's a powerful thing is that you, you prove your love through action. Yes. Through choice. I, I think, I mean, is that, is that no, fair? I agree. I, I mean, the words don't typically mean a lot and mm -hmm. action is what counts. Yeah. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Thanks man. That was yeah. interesting. Um, all right. So well, you, yeah, you had some good ideas about stuff to chat about this week. Yeah, actually we, we did have, you know, we've been talking about, um, you know, hoping that we could, um, offer some coaching and instruction and tips to, to listeners and viewers. And we got to have, um, Monica on last week. I, I thought that was, that was really cool. That was, that was enjoyable. I, I think it was a real benefit. Had a couple of comments, uh, like on the YouTube, uh, or Spotify podcast. I mean, on that platform, people just saying they had watched it, saw the videos, like heard the discussion and really, really felt like they benefited from it, enjoyed it. We're thankful that we were doing that kind of thing. So I'm, yeah. I'm hopeful that we can continue to do that. Um, and we have a, we have a, a link set up on the crave website where you can go and upload videos to us and we'll get those videos. Um, so far, we've only had one person take advantage of it, which is, which is fine. And that's awesome. So I have that video. I couldn't figure out how to connect with that person. Um, they, they, they didn't put their email or contact info in the file name. So, um, I don't have a way to connect with them and have them on tonight, but what I thought would be cool is we just go ahead and pull it up, watch it. We can talk about it. I've watched it already. Um, it's, it's a, there's not anything like, oh my gosh, the screw up or a malfunction. It's not anything bad like that. I think he just wanted some feedback on, uh, his angle flying. He's, he's leading the, leading the jump. And, um, to me, it looked really smooth, went really great. So let me see if I can pull it up. All right. Okay. Can you see that, JRS? Uh, it looks like it's loading. I mean, it definitely uh, another screen came up. Okay. Um, I'm getting three dots. Uh, three succession. dots. That's like that's it. it. Like... That's that's the three dots. That's them in the sky. They're just <laughs> yeah. Cool. Then they're really tight. Oh, here it goes. Oh man. So hold on. Sorry. Okay. You you can see it now. I can see the beginning of the like the first frame of the video. Yeah, I mean, they're just, yeah, I haven't started it. So, okay. Uh, is it playing smoothly? Nope. No. Oh man. Yeah. So this may be the issue for us. This is kind of what happened with Monica and her video. It's, it's at least playing now. I wouldn't say it's smooth, but I can see. 
So yeah, they're, I mean, they're, it's basically just one guy that we see in frame. There's a few other, few other people coming in and out of frame. Uh, it's an angle jump and what, what, how well can you see it, JRS? Um, now it's playing reasonably smoothly. Okay. Yeah. So like I said, without talking to the guy or knowing, I'm assuming that, that this is him that we're seeing that, you know, yeah. he got the video from his friend and it's him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So okay. I don't know how well, how well could you see that? I mean, a, a good chunk of it. The beginning was a little bit rough, but, um, I got, a, I got a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. You want to, you want me to go or you want to say yeah, some thoughts? Uh, I'll go at the risk of saying something dumb. <laughs> That's me too. <laughs> nah. Uh, I mean, overall it, it was, I thought it was a, he did a good job. It was a very smooth, um, jump. You know, from what I could see, he, he seemed to be flying kind of relatively mild. He didn't seem too steep. He was, he was a little bit wide, his legs and, and arms were a little bit wide. So he looks like he's kind of flying and breaks a little bit, which I, I kind of think, you know, that might be okay, actually, depending on who's, who's with him and, and what, you know, skill level, all the other flyers are, you can see the other flyers kind of, some of them kind of coming in and out, having a hard time staying tight and close. So maybe he was just trying to keep it really mild and, and easy and simple so that everybody could stay closer together. It didn't look like he did, you know, maybe there was a, a slow turn as they were going. Um, but from my person, I mean, from my, my opinion, I think he did a, did a pretty good job. Um, from what I could see. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would agree with a bunch of that stuff. Um, I think that he's obviously not flying for a ton of speed. He's not making a bunch of changes. Uh, which is good considering the only two other, I mean, you can kind of see the hands of the video flyer coming into the camera, but you don't really see him. Then, then the two people that are there um, are not there very consistently. And mm -hmm. so I would say that <clears throat> if he was making any changes that he probably doesn't want to make those changes on the next jump and that he wouldn't really want to make any until those two people are, are flying in the correct slot and are able to stay with that very basic kind of, um, yeah. And yeah. then, um, I, I think probably, uh, I don't know what the plan was for break off. Um, but, uh, it, I, I didn't see him like normally my break offs are very conspicuous, like a bunch of big waves to, to let everybody know that it's time to go. And then he did speed up, but his, his individual track off was, was pretty short. Um, mm -hmm. and I, didn't see him wave before he pulled, which those, those kinds of things, especially if the people that are on the jump are a little bit newer, which they might've been based on their skill set, um, that those would be good things to add probably for the next one. Yeah. He did both at, at the time of break off. I, I don't know if you, he did give a little bit of a, hmm. of an indication like, Hey, it's time to break off. It, it wasn't okay. very big, but it was, and obviously I'm watching from the ground, just seeing video of him. I'm not flying next to him. So yeah. it might've been a little bit small, not as, not as obvious as it could be. Um, and I think another thing he did well, cause I was watching, you know, it's very plain, very smooth for me. I can see every frame. He, he, he does a good job of he's looking back and forth. He's trying to keep his <laughs> eye on the other flyers. And 
you can see him multiple times looking at the ground, checking his heading. He's paying attention to where he's going. He's trying to pay attention and keep track of the other flyers on the jump. So that's what made me think, you know, he's, he is trying to fly a nice, a, a nice mild, smooth, uh, line so that everybody can stay with him as, as good as possible. Yeah. That looked like a, a good introductory angle jump. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, yeah. we'll keep, we'll keep doing these and maybe figure out a better way to get them, get the video smoother and to play back better or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting because it, obviously it has to come from you to me over mm -hmm. the airways. So I, maybe there's like a, we both have to download it beforehand. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or maybe um, I can put it up on YouTube and we play it from there or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That both might... of us can click the link. Um, mm -hmm. We'll figure it out. Yeah. You're a smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, so cool. another thing I want to talk about was, was gear. Okay. You know, um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I have a couple questions. One, one thing in particular is altimeters. You know, it, it seems to me that most people nowadays, uh, at least a significant number of people jump with a, a visual and an audible altimeter. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you jump with both. What do you, what do you use? Well, I'm going to, I'm probably going to get myself in a tiny bit of trouble here, but I'm going to be honest about the way that I normally do this. If I'm organizing or coaching or big ways or whatever, not team training, then I have two audibles and a visual. Okay. Um, I don't wear my visual when we, or when we team train, I'm not wearing anything on my arms. And that's because over the years, um, everybody that has been on the team with me has, has kind of gotten to the point where that, that visual that's on your arm is a, is an impediment to our, our job. And like, sometimes we dock on each other and there's, there's a, say a, a block turning. And so the, the individual pieces are working together. And if you make a mistake and grab onto somebody's altimeter instead of their forearm, there's a very good chance you're going to lose that grip. You're going to rip the altimeter off. Like there's, there's, there's force between us when we're turning those pieces. And so long time ago, probably while you're still in Dubai, I stopped wearing a, a visual for any team stuff. And I've, I've gotten into trouble a couple of times, not like trouble with the S and TA or whatever, but, but trouble in the sense that a younger jumper will ask me, Hey, you're not wearing a visual. And, and as a person generally that likes to try and set a good example for young jumpers, that, that requires a little bit of explanation, which might be a little bit more than I can do in the plane. And mm -hmm. I have to say something like, Hey, I'll, I'll talk to you when I get to the ground and, and sort of give you my reasons, but you're right. I'm not wearing one, obviously. Um, Steph, moved hers. She had a pocket sewn in kind of high on her arm. Um, so when she's under canopy, she can still see it. Uh, she can look over and glance at it, but it's kind of out of the way for, for taking grips. Um, but I'm pretty sure that everybody, maybe our camera flyer, Nicole wears one. Cause obviously nobody's gripping her, at least we hope not. Um, but, uh, I think everybody else on the team took theirs off for the exact same reason. Um, yeah. but it, it's just not setting the best example. But however, having said that, all of us have two audibles, which I think is if you're going to wear an audible and you're going to rely on it, which a lot of people do as you're getting into group skydiving or something where you're going to focus more on like, then when you got out on AFF and you're just like, okay, altitude, 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 you don't want to do that your whole skydive and you're relying on that thing. Then you need a second one because batteries can die. The, the thing itself can mess up. You can forget to turn it on 
I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen. It can get tricked out a little bit when you change um, when you change orientations. Your your audible as it passes through your own verbal um, can be off by hundreds of feet, and so all of us have two of them, and so the chances of your one audible going dead batteries okay i i could see that the chances of both of them on the same skydive i would put close to zero and for me and my team the chances of eight audibles being out of commission on the same skydive is so far beyond something i could accept as a reality that uh, i'm not worried about i'm not worried about not having a visual mm -hmm. and so in my opinion, someone's counter argument could certainly be, yeah, that's all cool when you're in free fall. And then when you get under canopy and you have a malfunction, how do you know what altitude you're at when, when you're uh, potentially not spinning fast enough for your audibles to think you're in free fall, like your flatline wouldn't go off your, your 2000 or wherever you set your emergency alarm. Um, and that is valid. And my, counter back in case anybody has that one is that I am very committed to not fighting my malfunctions for very long. If they're not coming back immediately, I'm, I'm out of there. Mm -hmm. And so I just had this conversation with a friend of mine, Andy, uh, who lives out in Arizona and he, I don't think he has quite as many jumps as I do, but, but a lot, 15,000, 16,000, something like that. And he has five cutaways. And so I'm around 21,000 jumps and I have 19. Uh, and the, he attributed that to the fact that he does fight until his flatline, um, uh, until his, whatever his minimum is two grand or 1500, hopefully not 1500, but, um, yeah. he's more willing to fight with it. And I'm just not, mm -hmm. if it's, do you have, have you ever had any, I mean, any altimeter stories, like things that, you know what I'm saying? where I, I wished that I had had one, something like no, that. No, not necessarily. Just, a something, you know, skydiving oh, related well, event or something that had to do with a altimeter. I mean, just cause you said it when I was a new, new jumper, <laughs> well, new, I had about a thousand jumps. So I went and got coaching from uh, Amy Shemalecki, which mm -hmm. she probably doesn't remember. I, it was just like, I was in Arizona and I, I don't remember who I had asked if they could, I was kind of, I could fly head down, but I wasn't very good at it. And, just wanted somebody to come with me. So I, the person I asked said, no, but this woman, Amy can come with you. And I didn't really know who she was at the time. She was, she, I had a new helmet that was an open face and I had an altimeter, which was also pretty new and audible. And I was so focused on the jump and like it break off was supposed to happen, but I couldn't hear in the open face. And so she kept giving me a peace sign. But she had also done that for wider legs. So I just kept putting my legs wider and she's still there giving me the peace sign. And I'm so focused on her. And finally, she just bellies out and pulls. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I like, did the same, basically, belly out and pulled. And uh, I saddled in at like 1,200 feet. Or oh, something. wow. It's really oh, wow. low. And uh, so we came down and she's like, what the fuck, man? I was telling you, yeah. get out of there. And I'm like but you were doing that for wide legs. Like I couldn't hear my audible. I'm sorry. Um, so that's, uh, that's a, awesome. maybe a good lesson on having two and uh, open faces are tough. I wear a full face now, um, but it, it's, there's so much noise. You gotta be, you gotta get the, like the little, the little hole that emits the noise. You gotta get it pointed right at your ear. Yeah. 
Yeah. Make sure you got it turned all the way up. All the way up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever jumped without an altimeter? An audible? I have never made a jump where I didn't have something. Hmm. Some kind Not of. Not even once. I don't think so. No. Um, no. Do you think uh, oh, that's interesting? That would be an interesting question if we could get an honest answer from every skydiver. How many skydivers have ever jumped without one? I don't. I don't think I've ever jumped without my helmet, and I had an audible from very early on, like mm-hmm. right after AFF, um, at the suggestion of a of a friend, kind of friend coach, um, and uh, for I mean. Probably made ten thousand skydives without a visual, but um, but not not without anything. Mm-hmm. Um, not a hop and pop, not a beach jump, nothing. I, I it's just yeah. yeah. What do you what do you like to set the audible at? Uh, minor. I mean, I have different ones, I guess. Uh, and luckily, I my team myself uh, were sponsored by L and B, so I I have. Uh, audibles that allow you different pages uh so i can i can i think it's four pages for the uh, high speed and then two pages for the low speed or something like that but mm-hmm. um if i'm free flying it's uh five for break off three five for pull and two as a, a warning altitude and then uh you know some if i'm doing military that that five will probably bump up to seven and depending on what the profile of the jump is, I guess I'm maybe a little bit higher, five, five or six for big mm-hmm. ways or something like that. And then you have canopy alarms set as well, or you just. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I think that's something that a lot of times people, I think that maybe they're not utilizing them in the way that I would, if I was, if I was giving a canopy course and, um, and, and I don't know if I, I'm, I'm just not sure what, what, what everybody does, but Basically, my three altitudes are 1,800, 1,400, and 1,000 for a canopy, and 1,000 is where I start my turn. Um, but uh, the thing that I'm not sure if, if people use it the same way is that at 1,800 feet, I'm, I'm, it beeps, I look down at the ground, and where am I right now? And then at 1,400 feet, I look down at the ground, where am I right now? And I'm making those same turns that everybody makes, like a a downwind crosswind and, and I start my turn to final. But in that in that association with the beep and the point over the ground, I'm establishing at eighteen hundred that's first base and at fourteen hundred that's second base and at a thousand that's third base. And I want to be able to by the a uh, couple jumps in, I want to put my canopy down in maybe a space that's four feet by four feet because I've refined those points to land exactly where I want. And if I if I overshot or I don't know, I, I, I just didn't do what I wanted on the first one. Then I have just spent a little bit of time thinking about where I need to adjust my pattern. Where does first base need to be on the next one? And so by the second or third jump, I'm, I'm putting it in front of the doors to walk in through the hangar to go on my back to back, which is maybe I'm working hard so I can be lazy on the walk back in. <laughs> Um, but I don't know if everybody thinks about it that way, but I, if they have an audible, it has the, the canopy beeps, then I would definitely encourage people to use them that way yeah. to try and refine their accuracy. No, I think that that's helpful. And it's, it's, I think it's probably 
maybe like not likely, but definitely possible that a lot of people aren't be. And sometimes just those very simple things, unless, unless somebody ever told you to, to do it that way, you, you may not have ever thought like, are you saying you look straight down to see exactly what point is directly below you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, see, I'm, I'm 2000 feet up and I'm, no, I, but, I'm doing the best I can, but yeah. yeah. I mean, cause I, I have mine set it. Uh, I mean, I don't do any kind of, you know, high performance landing or swooping or anything. I'm just doing, you know, a little bit of a 90 and getting a little speed and coming in. So mine are set at 900, 600, 300. Sure. And when it, when it goes off at 900, I, I pay attention to where I'm at, but I've never thought, Hey, what if I look directly down and take a very clear mental picture of where am I at, at each one of those bases? I've, I've never, I've never done that. Not, not yeah. specifically in that way. And when I hear you say, I was like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. It's super simple. Why? Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll try that. And you can make a very clear adjustment on the next one. Right. And that what you're saying? Yeah. A hundred percent. When I, you know, I, um, when I was competing for canopy stuff, it was a long time ago, but and it, the, the sport itself wasn't quite as refined as it is right now. But, you know, if you, if you go talk to Kurt Bartholomew before the meet, he's, you're going to see him out in the, in the area walking his bases. He's going to go where he thinks first base is. He's going to go stand there and walk and physically walk it on the ground and walk the pattern that he thinks he's going to run. Um, so that when he goes up, he can mimic that on the first jump, the first practice jump. And on the, hopefully in that one jump, that one practice jump that they get is that it was, were my bases right? Um, but he's done it so many times that if they weren't, he can do a quick refinement and okay, I'm hitting the gates. Um, so that, that, yeah, that little tidbit from competitive swoopers could be easily translated to everybody. Yeah. That's really, that's very helpful. Cause I, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to pay attention to, to where I'm at, but you know, if you're looking at an angle over at the, at the hangar or the landing area or the P pit or whatever, and it's not directly below you, you're not looking straight down. It's, it's easy to think you're in the same spot as you were last time when you're really, right. you're 200 feet off in a different direction, you know? And when you think about it in terms of, of that refinement process, um, it, if you haven't been doing that, how, how are you accurate? You know, like, mm -hmm. I mean, you just kind of roll the dice and I hope for the best, you know? Um, but, uh, the, I mean, if you, if you're thinking about it in terms of first base, second base, third base, then it's, then it's just an analytical process that you, you get better mm -hmm. at with each jump. And you're saying this, of course, is like the conditions are staying the same throughout the day, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, for the uh, most part, which they never do, but you got to do the best that you can yeah. with, um, with what you're presented. But the, you know, I guess there are days at Sky of Chicago where the wind changes dramatically and from one jump, it could be a 180 from the last one, um, as far as the landing pattern. But, uh, hopefully everybody also is in tune with the, that sort of L shaped pattern that you get in AFF or AFP or whatever your program was. My pattern is the same. It's, mm -hmm. it's that same L shape. My, my distance above the ground is, is considerably different. And obviously the turn I'm doing to final is, is different, but, um, the pattern is just the way that you would tell an AFF student, like, okay, we're landing to the North, but if we start landing to the East, you just take that whole pattern and shift it over and where, you know, you take your setup point to the new setup point and it, it the pattern is the exact same. Yeah. So what, what do you think is the, the, not, maybe not the best advice, but, you know, newer jumpers who are finished 
I mean, that's a good piece right there, what you just said, but um, for, for landing more accurately, what do you, do you have things that you usually tell people, newer jumpers that are fresh, fresh off a license and, you know, how, how do, how can we help people be better under canopy? Well, I, I mean, just more what we just talked about would for sure help. Um, mm -hmm. I think that whenever, whenever anyone that young, I mean, it, it doesn't happen a ton, to be honest, because I'm not in, I only do AFF here at Scott of Chicago when they're really overbooked and we're not team training. Um, when I w work with military groups, that's almost all I do is AFF. Um, but if someone that young were to ask me in the civilian world, I would say a hundred percent like, Hey, you're finished with AFF and you want to be better at canopy sign up for a canopy course right now. Um, and then sign up for another one the following year. And I don't, I mean, I'm myself not running out and getting canopy courses every year, but when I was newer, I, I did take three canopy courses, three years in a row from Jay Maletsky, um, who a lot of people don't even remember, but he was on the PD factory team and, um, a, kind of a pioneer in the in this the swooping that you see today he was one of the people that that kind of got it going um <clears throat> and so i think that a, a couple of years ago i wrote an article for parachutist about winds and in that discussion about winds i talked about the need for people to get canopy coaching and regular canopy coaching um and we're so focused on the free fall part and a lot of times people just take the canopy ride as like eh, yeah whatever i need to get back to the ground so i can pack and then go free fly again or belly fly or whatever but but that's the part that's returning you to the earth safely on every jump and if you're going to practice your free fall skills it is at least as important to practice getting back to the ground in one piece and and it isn't you know when you consider oh should i sign up this course is arbitrarily 75 bucks a day or something is it worth it, it i mean maybe we've got 60 area 60 acres of a landing area here at sky of chicago there's a lot of good places to land but man when you get a bad spot or you had a gnarly cutaway and and you've got to put your canopy down, downwind in somebody's backyard that's fenced in. You can only go one direction and on your right is a fence and on your left is a tree. I can tell you that canopy course, whatever you paid by the day is worth it. Um, and they're going to they're gonna work on off-field landings. They're going to work on long spot recovery, short spot recovery, downwind landings, crosswind landings. You're going to get all of this stuff that, that is good to know when you're in trouble. When, when you're just landing in the, the main landing area and it's a five mile an hour headwind from the north, who cares? Like, yes, every AFF student can do that. But um, so that would be my first bit of advice is, is get a qualified, competent canopy course um, for new jumpers. And I think that once you do it, especially like if you take somebody that's got 800 jumps and they're OK, I'm, I'm a good canopy pilot and they go through Kurt's course, Kurt and Jeannie's course or or a flight one course or Greg Windmiller's course, or Brian Germain's, they are going to wonder after the course, how did I land 800 times? I didn't know any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and then the next year you're going to go back, you could take the exact same course the next year and you have learned so much in the next year and you'd be like, Oh man, I forgot that thing. Mm. God, how did I forget that? That's vital to my landings. Or you can take the step up course or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, somebody say Kurt and Jeannie, I like to talk about their course because they've been friends a long time. Not to the, the rest of the guys aren't, but I, I see Kurt and Jeannie all the time. They, those guys can take you from graduating from AFF 
to standing on the podium and they can coach you every step of the way and you're going to get valuable information at literally every moment. Um, so that's a, I feel super strongly that, that not enough people are, are taking courses to, to learn how to fly a canopy. Yeah. And it kind of, it goes back, makes me think of when we were a couple of weeks ago talking about the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. You know, like you just, when you finish AFF, you feel like you learned so much because you did, you learned a lot, but yeah. there is so much that you missed. Like you think back, or I do, I think back to AFF and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's like, I mean, I know it's a cliche, but drinking from a fire hose, there's so much information and there's so much that they, they don't even try to cover because they can't. I mean, rightfully so. It makes sense. You, and I mean, like we said that, that same episode, like learning a language, you just, at, the more you learn, the more you realize there is to learn. Like there is so much that you can do and so much you can learn so much better that you can be. Um, and why not learn from people who have gone before, who've made a bunch of mistakes, who've, uh, you know, have thousands of jumps. Yeah. Yeah. I, sure. I, I don't know if people are intimidated by, by it for some reason, but I mean, generally coaches are people that, that <clears throat> they actually enjoy teaching other people. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise they'd be doing something else. Uh, and so if it's, I don't know if it seems intimidating to get into like a professional court course, like a flight one or a, or an alter ego course or something like that. But I don't think, I mean, people shouldn't be intimidated. Those, those guys want to help you be better skydivers. And I mean, of course they're charging for that knowledge, but it, it is so worth it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I, and, and I some remember, people, Sorry, go ahead. Well, I say some people maybe may think, oh, well, that's just for people who want to get into competition. Like you said, some, you know, they can take you from mm -hmm. AFF to the podium and, and that's just not, that's not true. It's no, I mean, you, it, there are a lot of people who want to get into competition and those courses are great for them too, but there's specific courses for that specific canopy courses that are advanced and they take people through that. But a lot of the canopy courses, um, just great knowledge, good stuff to learn. Yeah. What were you going to say? I, I was going to say that. I think I had about 200 or 250 jumps and I, I was in the plane and I happened to be sitting uh, next to a couple of camera flyers who were sitting in the back for some reason. And the one guy, um, Eric Gibson, the guy that used to jump at the drop zone that I jumped at, um, he said, man, I just got to a thousand jumps. And when you have 250 jumps, a thousand jumps, is like, Ooh, that's, boy, you're getting up there. And uh, he's, he said to the other guy he was talking to, I, I just, I feel like I, I know enough now to know that I don't know anything in the sport. And I was like, that thousand jump guy knows nothing about the sport, man. I don't, okay. I know absolutely nothing then. I, uh, it was just a, it was a really good thing to hear when I was a very young jumper of like, there's just so much. And you're right. The AFF is like, okay, guys, there's too much. And we're going <laughs> to let me explain. Nope. I need to sum up because it's way too much. And this is what you need to not die on these courses. And once you get through it, then we're the floodgates open and then the whole rest can, can start coming through, but mm -hmm. that's a lot. Yeah. Um, whenever you jump with the military, mm -hmm. you, you do that a lot. Yeah. Probably four or five courses a year, a couple of weeks, each course. What are you usually teaching them? What are you working on with them? Um, free fall skills. I mean, it, it depends on the group. Um, and I 
I'm honestly a little bit limited on, on the things that I can say. Um, hmm. But uh, we are generally working with two different different groups. One is more experienced and um, they need to they need to learn how to jump into potentially remote locations with gear and weapons. And so we're teaching them a little bit more advanced body flight. Um, and uh, I probably should stop there. there and then there's, a, there's another group of, of, of what I would call more support staff. And, and those people generally are just like an AFF course, just mm. zero jumps. And they're going to, they're going to get a, a couple weeks with a one-on-one -on -one instructor, someone at or near my level of skydiving, which if you can imagine these courses of 50 or 60 people and everyone has someone like me. Um, and that's, that's a heck of an investment. Um, for wait, wait, wait a minute. You're saying that there'll be 50 military personnel. Each one of them has their own private coach. I mean, person with them. One-on-one -on -one with someone like me, sometimes two of us for the wow. same student. Um, and then they're going to get a couple days of intensive canopy work, um, flight one. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, wow. um, but, uh, that's cool. That's really I cool. Don't say too much. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, is it fun? <laughs> so I hope I don't get trouble for this. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, <laughs> let's, switch, let's change subject. Well, let's talk about something else. Yes. It's very fun. First of all. And, uh, some of the, I mean, jumps nobody that, listens to this podcast anyway, yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> there was a jump that I made. I, I'm not going to describe the specifics because then I would get in trouble, but I'm, uh, it's three in the morning. It's dark. I'm, I'm wearing night vision and infrared and I'm helping these guys jump and we're at 25 grand and I'm standing on the ramp. Like, and you're wearing oxygen and I'm wearing oxygen. Yep. I'm like, man. I might pay a thousand dollars to do this jump. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to get paid, paid today. This is, this is great. Um, but in general terms, it's, if you think about what we're doing in skydiving, it's, it's a hobby. It's a pastime. It's useless. It, there's, there's no practical application for what we do. You know, it's just, it's a fun thing that some silly human beings decided let's fall out of an airplane and make that a pastime. So, okay. And I love it. And I, I, I love pretty much everything about it, but in those jumps, there is a real world application for what I'm doing. And, and, and those guys, uh, those guys do what we need them to do and mm -hmm. I help them to do it. Yeah. That's, that's so, cool. You, yeah. you really are in, in that sense, in a very practical, real sense, you're making a difference. That's pretty cool. Ancillary. But I'm 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 adjacent to someone who is the doer of deeds, but I'm helping them get there. Well, that's what I'm saying. You're you're yeah, yeah absolutely. And I would argue there is a there is a practical. Uh, what, what did you say for our for us for civilians for fun jumpers? There's no what? What did you say? There's just no practical application for what we do. It's useless. I would say fall there out, is. Fall out of planes. I would say the practical application is that it's cathartic and therapeutic. Mm. <laughs> okay, I, on my level, on my personal level, there's. There's so few things that I've found that, that I'm in that moment and I'm only in that moment. And, um, it, that's, that's a great feeling. So yeah. I, I agree yeah. with it as it, 
pertains to my life, there's application there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. I've yeah. said that so many times with so many people, like when you let go of the plane, like for me, that for me, I'm not going to say every single jump, but that is one of my favorite parts is leaving the plane. There's just something about that for me that is so enjoyable. And then, like you said, you're, if I've had a fight with my wife or I'm worried about, I'm stressed about something or got a problem issue, whatever, doesn't matter. All that disappears, you know? Yeah. Like you said, you're in, you're just right there with those people focused, smiling, having fun for that. 45, I feel like if 50, I was, a, yeah, I mean, it, whatever that time is, if I think if we were surfers, it'd be very similar. Like you catch mm. that wave and mm. for that, whatever, again, a very short period of time, less than a minute, mm -hmm. you're in that moment and that's it. The, the whole mm. rest of the world is gone. Yes. Yeah. I think that's worth something. Oh yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. Very cool. Did you have any other questions about altimeters or equipment? I, you mentioned equipment. We just did altimeters. Uh, no, I mean, I didn't have any specific questions. Um, what, what's no, I mean, not really, unless you have, you have something on your mind, something you're thinking well, about. Well, you, before we started recording, you said something about like the most important thing, uh, but I, I don't know if that's a whole separate discussion, but, um, I don't know. I mean, other than the rig, I don't, I don't know if there's a, <laughs> a, a most important part of the skydive. Um, but there's definitely things that I'm jumping with every single time, helmet, audibles, uh, a rig, obviously. I, and I'm not a big barefoot guy, so I always have shoes on. Mm -hmm. But then after that, I, I don't necessarily have to be wearing a suit. Um, I just admitted that I don't always wear an altimeter. Uh, I usually have sunglasses, mm. but I don't know how I would categorize other than the rig, what one is more important than the other. I think that there are some essentials to yeah. jump with my phone. I, I don't think everybody does that. And I think they should. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't because, um, it's fallen out of my pocket two times, but I guess, I mean, that's my fault for not having a zippered pocket, you know? Um, so. If, if you're interested, there's a couple of people at Scott of Chicago who have had the, the rigor, um, make a belly band, mm -hmm. which generally is a good idea. I think, I mean, there's nothing harmful about it and they'll put what, so basically their belly band looks like a fanny pack. Mm -hmm. So they sew a little pouch on there with a really nice, like a waterproof zipper and their phone goes in there. Mm. Um, and since we, the one jump that I made today, we had a guy, uh, who's working on canopy piloting stuff who did a high pull chopped and tried to then chase the canopy when this was today today like an hour okay. ago two hours ago okay. and so the plane the caravan that that we were about to jump out of spent i don't know five or six minutes just circling looking for him because he had landed off we weren't sure where he was weren't sure where the canopy was he wasn't he, either. He didn't take his phone or he wasn't answering it because a bunch of people were trying to call him. And so th this one ended fine. He's fine. He was just trying to find the canopy. I guess it was, and, and all this is kind of secondhand. So I'm not all the facts are guaranteed, but he did land off. He wasn't with a phone. And so that creates a little bit of a stressful scenario because if you land off and you're hurt and we can't reach you or know where you are, 
man, it, it, it could be a minute before the cavalry gets there. Um, and so generally I think that finding a way to, to carry that communication device can be good. And like we had a, unfortunately we did have an accident a couple of weeks ago where, um, a woman got turbulence at Scottish Chicago, her canopy collapsed. She was off field and didn't have a phone or couldn't use it. And her team that she was filming a belly team realized in the loading area, Hey, she's not here. Um, and then that, again, that creates a little bit of a hectic scenario with where is she and she needed assistance. Um, and so again, I, I wasn't here for that one, but, um, just hearing about it causes me a little bit of anxiety that God, just, just take your phone. And if you're hurt, you, you gotta, I mean, there's, you know, yeah, some way to communicate that you need help. Yeah. Um, I actually, um, I actually did just get a few new pair of pants for, for skydiving that have zippered pockets so yeah. that I can carry my phone because one of the main, I mean, those are all great reasons and I, I'll do it because of that. But also it, when I organize at Spaceland, one of their rules is that the organizer has to have a phone with them. Like you have to. And so, yeah. I mean, I'm happy to follow that rule. Yeah. And I, I think there's, I, I can't remember exactly the number of times that I've seen someone in my group is going to land off. I'm going to land with them mm. um, to make sure that they land safely. Off field landings for a lot of people are really stressful. I think I've done so many of them. I just don't care anymore. Um, but if they don't have a phone, how are we going to find them? I know I do have my phone. It's, it's not the end of the world if I don't make the next load. Um, or I, I land like a lot of times people chop and I'm going to go chase the canopy for the same reason. Like I would really rather they get back to the main landing area. They just had kind of a hectic situation. Just go put your reserve down safely. And it's, it's really comforting for a lot of people, myself included, that if you're under a reserve and your $3,000 is <clears throat> flying away that, Oh gosh, Jay Russ is going to get it. Cool. Let me just go land yeah. safely. You know? So mm -hmm. if it, in a variety of situations, your phone can be very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did think of one other thing I wanted to ask you about the, um, the record that y'all did last week. Oh, in Wisconsin. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. can, t tell me real quick how that went and, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, it went pretty well. Um, we, their previous record was, uh, 16 and the, uh, the VFS team that sponsored at Scott Midwest is chemtrails. And those guys wanted to post a new one. I think we started on Friday with 34 or 33. Um, we didn't, we didn't get a record that day. And um, I can't remember now if we got on Saturday or Sunday, I think we got on Sunday. Um, so all day Saturday, they were really trying hard to keep everybody on it and not make any cuts. Mm -hmm. um, and there were a couple, I don't know, I, a couple of times where even I, I, records are funny. Like you see people who are even really good flyers and just, they don't have their finest moment on, mm -hmm. on one of those jumps. And um, so on Sunday they did end up, we, I think we cut it down to what we got, which was 26 or 27 and then put, everybody back on and we did one or two more to try and just get everybody included and we didn't get those. But, um, I mean, those records to me are, are just great. Like I, I really appreciate that we're all working towards the same goal and I get to see a bunch of people that I otherwise 
don't see, at least mm -hmm. not in that kind of setting. Like some, I'll see some of those people, but it's in a little bit more competitive environment where they're on another team and I'm competing against them, or it's maybe it's at nationals and I don't have tons of time. Um, and what was really nice at this one too, is that I wasn't the organizer. I was there as, as a participant and that that's great. I'm, I mean, I'm kind of just screwing around and having fun and jumping with friends. And it was really fun until I remembered that I don't get free jumps at Scott Midwest. <laughs> I had to go give them 700 of my dollars for that event. <laughs> but I had a really good time. It was, it was super uh, fun. That's funny. And you all yeah. set a new record. And we got a new record. That's yeah. cool. That's fun. <clears throat> yeah, I got to get right. my uh, green suit back because I, I just wore my black competition suit and it's not as it's not as easier for people to align themselves relative to the base when there's not a, some bright colors. In there. Not as high vis as the, right. the lime green suit. I've got, I've got one coming. Yeah. Vertical suits is going to take care of me. Cool. Very cool. All right. Well, you, you've done it again. You've wasted another perfectly it's, it's good hour. A wasted hour. Jay, Russ, and Chris. Yeah. Actually, I don't know if anybody listened. Oh, no. I mean, I like... This guy, Cameron, came up to me at Sky Chicago and said, man, I'm listening to your podcast. It's great. I'm learning so much. And he's kind of a younger jumper just getting into wingsuiting. And there's a MFS team that's here. And one of the participants is kind of religious about listening to this. She's super excited about it. And awesome. I, I mean, it's a small audience right now, but I, I the people that are listening, I think, are, are enjoying it. Good. And we're thankful for them. We're glad yeah, you're listening. Absolutely. And uh, if, if you are listening and you want to upload a video for us to check out, um, we're going to try to make that process better and better, figure out how to make those videos play smoother so we can all see them. Go to the Crave website, click on that uh, link at the top of the show. You'll see the uh, link to upload to Dropbox and instructions. And, and if you don't want to upload a video, but you just want to uh, post a question and you can, you can email me through the Crave website. You can message me through Facebook or Instagram. You can message J Russ through um Instagram or Facebook and, and we'll, man, we'll, we'll take, we would love those questions. We, that would be, we, I would enjoy that. I know you would too, Jay Russ. That would be fun for us. Yeah, we'll be happy to, we'll read those questions online on the show. We'll talk about them, discuss them. And hopefully um, we can all learn some more stuff and, and do more, be better. Right. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks Jay Russ, man. It's, this is fun. And uh, if you're listening, I, I hope it was uh, good for you. Learn something and uh, get out there and have fun skydiving blue skies crave, do more, be better. Thanks, Chris.